the family tree. Genealogy research is a big business these days. Ancestry.com, 23andMe, MyHeritage are a few of the more familiar names in this business. One report that I read estimated that the genealogy products and services market is to be valued around $15 billion. That was back in 2020. And it's growing quickly all the time. Sales and personal DNA, sales of personal DNA test kits have doubled every year for the past five or six years, and there's no end in sight for that. If you're looking for a stock to invest in, you know, some of these might be the ones to do. Uh, not that I'm a business guy that knows anything about that, but it's interesting to see how huge this business is and how fast it's growing. Tracing your family lineage, learning about your ancestors and where you come from, discovering your genetic makeup and so forth are things readily available to many in our day. We can now sift through massive piles of data on the internet looking for ancestry connections. We can find and contact long-lost relatives through social media. We can send our DNA into a lab to be analyzed for various genetic markers. Some people, they have discovered that they are direct descendants of some of humanity's greatest individuals. They're descendants of kings and queens and scientists and explorers and warriors and artists and innovators of various kinds. Others have learned things about their background that they might wish they didn't. Being direct descendants of some of history's most despicable human beings. What kind of pedigree do you have? Are you the relative of a great king, an important spiritual leader, a brave warrior, a murderer, a traitor, a prostitute, a coward, a bunch of noteworthy nobodies? Is your family tree filled with one great person after another? Or is it a scattered mess of inappropriate relationships and shameful stories and broken branches? We're going to look at the family tree of Jesus Christ today. And we will learn that his human ancestry contains all of those things. Kings, spiritual leaders, warriors, murderers, traitors, cowards, prostitutes, unnoteworthy nobodies, inappropriate relationships, shameful stories, and broken branches. Jesus didn't come from a long line of humanity's best and brightest. His genetic lineage was not always pretty. The important message for us in that is this, that Jesus is the Messiah for all of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've done. He came to save us all. And he put on the flesh and blood of humanity in all of its glory and its shame to do it. We're beginning a new Bible study series today through the book of Matthew. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip over to the book of Matthew. If you're not familiar with the Bible's book layout very good, Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. So if you can at least find your New Testament, it'll be the first book in the New Testament. If you can't even get to there, no problem. 
Go to the table of contents at the front of your Bible. That's always a good place to start. Find Matthew. It'll give you the page number, and then you can locate it. The book of Matthew is so named because of the person who wrote it, a guy named Matthew. And we'll talk about the story of the man Matthew when we get to Matthew chapter 9. But briefly, Matthew was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. He was also known by the name Levi in your Bible. He was a tax collector by profession. In our day, tax collectors, not a big deal. But in those days, if you were a tax collector, you were one of the most despised people among the Jews of the first century. Tax collectors were considered traitors. They were Jews working for their oppressors, the Romans, collecting tax money from their own people to give to who they consider their enemy. Adding insult to that, the tax collectors were known to collect taxes far in excess of what the Romans required, keeping all of that skim for themselves. The tax collectors were usually very wealthy because of this, and they were virtually untouchable by the people because they had the Roman government backing them up. Matthew was well-educated, good with numbers, kept meticulous records, and was a very savvy business person. The book of Matthew is often referred to as the gospel according to Matthew. The first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are referred to as the gospels. They present accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. They are biographies of Jesus. Now, biographies at the time didn't always follow strict chronological order of events as is common in a biography of our own day. In the case of the Gospels, materials were sometimes and are, pre and are sometimes presented in a topical order, batches of teachings and batches of miracles and batches of related stories will be grouped together. And this helps to explain why we will find in the Gospels, if we go between the four of them and try to compare them, that various events and teachings from the life of Jesus appear in different order, sometimes in the different books. This difference in order of appearance is bothersome to the modern reader, but it created no problem for the reader of the first century. The word gospel literally means good news, and has come to refer to the salvation offered to us by God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, His Son. These biographies of Jesus are called Gospels because they are about the person who embodies the good news of God to us, Jesus Christ. Well, which Gospel book is the best? There is no best one. Each of the four Gospels serve a purpose in telling the story of Jesus, with each having its own focus and perspective. The life of Jesus is so rich and deep and complex that even with the four Gospels we have, we are left wishing that we had so much more information about Jesus. And yet, what we have is more than enough for us to embrace Him as Savior and Lord and worship Him for eternity. Now, although the Gospel of Matthew speaks to all people, 
Matthew takes special care in his gospel to address things that would be of particular interest to Jewish people of his day, and that is one of the unique angles of Matthew's gospel. We'll flip over to Matthew chapter 1. One of Matthew's objectives in, re, in, in writing the gospel of Matthew was to show that Jesus is the Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament scriptures, something that a Jewish person of his day would have been particularly interested in finding out and seeing. So he begins the book with an account of the human ancestry of Jesus. Now, in a sense, what we have in these opening verses of the Gospel of Matthew is an expanded version of what Paul writes in the opening words of his letter to the Romans. In Romans 1.1, Paul writes this. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the Gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, underline this, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. These first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1 is Matthew laying out as to his earthly life, Jesus was a descendant of David. Verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Charles Spurgeon labels this first chapter of Matthew the birth of the king. The king that he's referring to is the king over all of God's creation, Jesus Christ. And we have the lineage of the king given in the first 17 verses of the chapter and then an account of the birth of the king beginning in verse 18. Now as we look at this list of names in the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1, you may be thinking, surely Jeff, we are going to skip these verses and dive into the story at verse 18, right? And my response is, not so fast, Speedy. On the surface, this list of names may not hold much interest. In fact, it may look very boring. But if we look beneath the surface, we discover some interesting things. This is the pedigree of Jesus. This is his ancestral background. This is the folks of Jesus. His genetic line, his human family tree. That's what we're looking at here. Matthew begins this family tree of Jesus with Abraham. So in verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Abraham. Abraham was the man of faith. The one who believed God, trusting in His promises to him. He was the one to whom God promised, through your offspring, all people on the earth will be blessed. Jesus is the fulfillment of that amazing promise that God made to a human being some 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Jesus is the promise that was made and kept by God. 
Through him, the whole world is blessed. He's the salvation of all humankind. Isaac, he was a son of promise. The Lord had promised to give Abraham and his wife Sarah a son. And even though Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, way beyond childbearing years, the Lord gave them a son, Isaac. Isaac was not only the fulfillment of God's promise to them, he also serves as a pointer to the future when God would fulfill his greater promise to them and to the whole world with the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. Jacob, he was not the firstborn son of Isaac, who would have been the expected progenitor for the Messiah. But the Lord and his choices are not limited and confined by the rules of human beings. God doesn't always do what is expected or anticipated, does he? He does what he wills, and what he wills and does are always best. That's why we want to trust him rather than ourselves. Jacob was a manipulator, always trying to work the system to his advantage, contending with God and people his whole life. God eventually would give him the name Israel, which meant he struggles with God. He fought against God and he clung to God all at the same time. Israel. Judah, he was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Again, not the firstborn son, and not the son who would become the lineage of the priesthood. He was the fourthborn son and would become the lineage of royalty. The great kings of Israel would come through Judah, and the greatest king of all would come through him, Jesus Christ, who's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah's mother was Leah. It's good for us to remember that too. See, Rachel was the wife that Jacob loved so much that he was willing to work 14 years for his father-in-law to have her. Those years seemed like only a few days to him because he loved her so much. We might think it would be through this cherished wife, Rachel, that the lineage of the Messiah would come. Instead, it would come through the wife that Jacob did not want, the wife that he did not love. Genesis 29, 31 says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to have children. And Judah was one of the children that the Lord blessed Leah with. The blessing of God upon Leah to have children is a picture of God's special heart for the unwanted, the unappreciated, the unloved. This is the lineage of Jesus. Verse 3, it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab. Perez, says Judah, the father of Perez, whose mother was Tamar. 
the mother of Perez was Tamar. She was originally the wife of Judah's son, Ur. He died before they had any children. Then she was given to Judah's son, Onan. But he also died before they had any children. Judah refused then to let his last son, Shelah, take her as his wife. He was afraid that she was cursed in some way. Tamar, desperate to have a child to carry forward the name of her deceased husband and left with no other options. She disguised herself as a prostitute and she tricked her father-in-law, Judah, into having relations with her. She conceived and she gave birth to twin boys, Zerah and Perez. Zerah was the firstborn, but as we've seen happen before in previous generations, he is not the one God chose for the generic or for the genetic line of the Messiah. It was his younger brother Perez. And you're going, okay, that's like a weird story. Yeah. There's some mess in Jesus' family tree. Hazarin Ram and Aminadab. There's little of note said about these men. They are a lot like most of us. Like them, we will not have achieved much in this life that others will remember after we're gone. Now, I don't say that to make us feel depressed about our life. I say it to point out that Jesus Christ didn't just have noteworthy people in his lineage. He had a lot of nobodies and everyday folks in his lineage. God uses nobodies and everyday folks. Don't judge your life by the standards of this world. The Lord has a purpose for each of us, and that purpose unfolds for each of us every moment of every day. Who you are and what you do, it matters to the Lord. Live for Him every day. It says, Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Nashon, he was head of the tribe of Judah during Israel's years of wandering in the desert wilderness before entering into the promised land of Canaan. Verse 5, it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse. Salmon, he was the husband of Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute from the city of Jericho. You might remember, because Rahab had hidden the Israelite spies when they had snuck into the city of Jericho on a reconnaissance mission and then helped them to escape the city, that Joshua ensured her safety during the destruction of the city of Jericho. And he then welcomed her to become a part of the Israelite community. Salmon married Rahab, and they had a child named Boaz. Boaz. He was that Israelite man of tremendous honor who married a Moabite woman named Ruth. The Israelites didn't have a good relationship with the Moabites. Among other things, the Moabites had tried to have the Israelites cursed by God when they were 
out in the desert wilderness. Because of the repeated awful treatment by the Moabites, no Moabite was to be allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. But Ruth is a beautiful exception. She left her homeland of Moab and followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Bethlehem in Israel to take care of her. Ruth is the person who made that beautiful pledge of loyalty to Naomi, which has become a familiar pledge spoken at weddings in our own day. Ruth 1.16, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separate you and me. Boaz married Ruth. And they had a son named Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David. Remember, this is the family tree of Jesus that we're talking about. All of these folks are Jesus' folks. Verse 6 says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. David, he is the most celebrated king in Israel's history. The Lord had told the prophet Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons to be the future king of Israel. And as each of the seven sons of Jesse were brought before Samuel, Samuel was sure This son must be the one. They were each strong, handsome, kingly-looking men. None of them, though, were the one that the Lord had chosen to be the next king. Samuel asked Jesse if he had any other sons. And Jesse said, well, yeah, his youngest son, David, was out in the fields watching the flocks. Samuel asked that he be brought in. When David appeared... Before Samuel, the Lord immediately told Samuel, this is the one. This is the one that the Lord had said would be a man after God's own heart. The one who would care about the things that the Lord cared about. The one who would put the well-being of the Lord's people before his own. David was a skilled warrior, a talented musician and songwriter, a great leader And most importantly, a tremendous lover of God. David's story took a very dark turn, though. After the Lord had blessed David with tremendous success as the leader of Israel, giving him victory over his enemies and wealth beyond his dreams, David did the unthinkable. He took the wife of another man and had relations with her, A man who had been risking his life for David in his army. A man named Uriah. And when David learned that this woman was pregnant with his child, he had her husband killed. David then took her to be his own wife. That woman's name was Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba would have a son named Solomon. Solomon. He would be considered one of the most intelligent and wise people the world has ever known. When he first became king, 
assuming the throne from his aged father, David, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and he told him he would give him whatever he wanted. And Solomon asked for a wise and discerning heart to lead the people of Israel. And the Lord gave him what he asked for. And because he had not asked for great wealth or long life, the Lord gave him those too. There had never been anyone like Solomon. People would travel from all over to listen to his wisdom and to marvel at his achievements. Sadly, though, Solomon didn't follow his own wisdom. Instead, he lived an extravagant, self-indulgent, foolish, faithless life, and he failed to live up to the incredible potential that the Lord had given him. Solomon would be the beginning of the end of the Israelite nation. Verse 7, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam. He assumed the throne from his father Solomon and followed in his father's foolish footsteps. Shortly after taking power, he had the chance to heal the damage that his father had done and unite the peoples of Israel together again behind him. But instead of following the wise counsel of the seasoned elders who served him, he chose to follow the foolish, arrogant counsel of his friends. The result, 10 of the 12 tribes split away from him and appointed their own king. This northern kingdom would be known as Israel. The two tribes that remained with Rehoboam would be known as the nation of Judah. These two nations would remain divided for the next 200 years until the Assyrians would come in and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel, wiping it out. The Babylonians would then destroy the southern kingdom of Judah some 130 years after that. Says Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. The latter part of verse 7 through verse 11, it lists some of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah up to the destruction of the nation and the exile of the people to Babylon. A few of these kings were considered good. Most of them were not. Verses 12 through 15. These are men in the ancestral line leading to Jesus in the period after the Babylonian exile. We're not going to talk much about these men. We know very little bit about most of these men. It says, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, 
Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. I call our attention to one man in this list who may be familiar to you from Bible stories, and that is Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was one of the men who led the first group of Jews back to Jerusalem from the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. He then led the building of an altar to resume the worship of the Lord and the eventual rebuilding of the temple itself in Jerusalem. He's referred to as the governor of Judah in the book of Haggai. Verse 16, we finally come to Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. And I want us to notice here how Matthew makes sure we understand that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Verse 17 says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Matthew didn't include all the names of every person in the genealogy of Jesus here. Instead, he tells us he's listed three sets of 14. This was commonly done in ancient genealogy like this one. Some historians think that they were done this way to make it easier for people to remember them. Well, we went through all those names, didn't we? In closing, this is the human family tree of Jesus, the Messiah. And you thought that you came from a messy background. Humanity's Messiah didn't come from a long list of the best and brightest. Instead, our Messiah came from a family tree that included kings and priests and wise men and fools and warriors and cowards and prostitutes and outcasts and lots of unnoteworthy nobodies. There were winners and losers. There were godly and wicked. There were honorable and shameful. And what does this tell us about our Messiah, Jesus? Jesus is the Messiah for all of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've done. He came to save us all. And he put on the flesh and blood of humanity in all of its glory and its shame to do it. Jesus came, too, to give you and me a new future and a new family tree that reaches into endless eternity. Because we're told that all who put their faith in Jesus as their Messiah become children of God adopted into his family.
John, in the first chapter of his gospel, writes in verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And this we celebrate as followers of Jesus. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father, as we look at the family tree of Jesus and we read and we reflect back on all of these stories of all of this cast of characters, people that you chose to be in the lineage of our Jesus. Father, we are so thankful that you included people like us and people like our mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers and all of the other cast of characters that we have in our family trees. People like us, you included them in the family tree of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. That you came to rescue us. And you put on our flesh and blood in all of its shame and glory both to affirm to us your love for us. Thank you, Lord. I ask you to encourage your people this week and remind us, Lord, of how precious we are to you. In Jesus' name, amen.